Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. You know, I, I think there's um, a life that God calls us to that looks very different from the world. It's a life that um, doesn't necessarily blend in or is kind of a chameleon just with the way that culture shifts and moves. But it's a life that God calls us to, an abundant life, an incredible life, where he sets us apart. He sets us apart. And I, I want to talk to you today for a little bit around this idea of you were made for more. You were made for more. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for your spirit, God. Thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you for your holiness. Thank you for your love for us, God. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness. So many reasons to give you praise this morning. And Lord, I pray that today that there would be a demonstration of your spirit's power. Um, Lord, as your word is brought forth, that it would be clear. Lord, that you would penetrate our hearts, that, Lord, you would uplift those who are struggling, God, that you would continue to fan into flame those who are burning right now. And, Lord, just ask that, Lord, you would meet us where we're at and you would help us to see, God, that you have called us to live lives that are set apart. Lord, lives that are unexplainable to the world. Lord, when they see our life, when they see our love, when they see our purity, when they see our generosity, Lord, I just ask that um, you would birth something in our heart in this series that wouldn't just be a great series as we move on, but, Lord, that it would, it would change the very way that we see um, ourselves, that we see you, and the way that we see the world. So come, Holy Spirit, and do what only you can do. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. So, so I want to I introduce you uh, to the barnacle bird, and I want you to take a look at this video. Check it out. launch and a controlled drop this is as good a descent as it's possible to make Its parents are there to meet it. A little dazed, perhaps, but all in one piece. 
One gosling at least hasn't made it. And this chick appears to be in a bad way. At last, it responds to its mother's calls. The resilience of a barnacle goose. Isn't it incredible, isn't it? You guys weren't ready for that. I think the first thought when we see that is, why in the world would the parents call them from the bottom and not go up and give their kids a little bit of help, maybe, you know, help them navigate a little bit? Well, the truth is barnacle birds don't feed their young. So if they stay in the nest, they die. Um, and they always nest up on the high cliff sides. And so the only way that that young chick is going to live is if it takes a plunge out of the nest. You see, if, 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 if it doesn't leave the nest, it, it dies of hunger. And, and there's something about the fall that, that prepares them for the tumultuous life that they're going to live with predators and, and the difficulty living in the, the areas and battling some of the weather. And if they can survive this fall, it's a great picture of what their life is going to be like. It's going to be a life of soaring, but it's also going to be a life of, of tension. It's going to be a life of difficulty and challenge. But, but to, to plunge out of the nest isn't even an option. It's not an option. Because for them to, to stay in the nest, there would be something missing from their life because that's not why God created them. God created them to soar. He created them to fly. He created them uh, to have a sense of resilience and endurance. That's how God made these birds. God knew that uh, this mother um, was not going to feed her young, that she was going to have to call her young down from the cliff. Just so I could use it as an example today uh, for the good news of Jesus, God has a lot of forethought that he puts into things. But outside of that nest, if it was to remain there, something would be missing. There, there would be this longing for, for more. There would be a hunger that would start to birth on the inside of it. Now, now, I think it's interesting because I think we go through phases in life, like maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, and we, we have all have been there at one point or another in this room, whether you're following Jesus now or not. We know how it feels to have that sense that something is missing, to have that hunger that says there's got to be more to life than this. Like before Christ, there, there's this sense of, man, I'm trying all these different things, but Nothing can go the distance. Like I find moments of fulfillment and temporary satisfaction, but it, it can't go the distance and it leaves us hungry and leaves us with the sense of something's missing. Well, then, then we trust Jesus as our Savior and, and we start to build a relationship with him and that void is, is sealed because what our soul was longing for was a Savior. And all of a sudden, man, we're forgiven, we're redeemed, uh, we're new creations and life changes dramatically and that void no longer exists. But then as you begin to follow Jesus, you start to build your relationship with him. You start to spend time in your devotions. You start spending time in prayer and in his word. And all of a sudden, a new hunger starts to birth on the inside of you. 
Sometimes I think the way that we preach the cross is, is, and, and the resurrection is it's, it's this moment of salvation then, then every void goes away. Well, I, I don't know if that's necessarily true because I think the eternal void is satisfied, but there becomes a longing in our hearts that says, man, Lord, I know there's greater heights. I know there's deeper levels. I know that there's, there's greater intimacy. And so hunger starts to birth on the inside of us. That, man, I, I feel like I was made for more. And it's nothing to do with my eternal salvation or security. All of that is done, but it's a newfound hunger that says, Lord, I want to know you more. Lord, I, I, I want to I be more intimate. I want to follow you at a deeper level. God, I want to experience your power um, beyond what I could imagine. And there's this hunger that draws us. But I think a lot of times what ends up happening is when we sense this hunger, right away we navigate towards consumption. Like, like maybe, maybe I just, I need another service. Maybe I need to go to like 10 services this week. Maybe, maybe I, I need to be a part of 10 small groups. Maybe I need to add some time to my devotional life. Maybe, and all those things are great. And maybe that's necessary in that season. But, but I, I, and I encourage you to do all of those things. But I think there's one area that's often neglected and not really thought about when that hunger is burning on the inside of us. And it's an area that if you and I neglect, no matter what we do, there's going to be a longing on the inside of us that we cannot get away from. And, and, and it, it's, it's this reality. If, if you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down. It's this reality of, of mission, of mission. It's like a lot of times we don't think, oh, man, the way to draw closer to God is to be on mission with him. That's just normally not our default. Right? We, we think more along the lines of, what more can I get? I need to get some more knowledge and I need to, yes, you do, and all that stuff. But consumption was always meant to be partnered with contribution. Like, like you're never meant to, to separate those two. And, and mission is a key part of us growing spiritually. Mission is a key part of uh, us encountering Jesus in a deeper and a real way. Because all the consumption, if you're taking notes, jot this down. Consumption with Christ should lead to the commission of Christ. And so as we're consuming, as we're being, as we're being more filled with, with God and his word, as there's this, this hunger and this desire to know him at deeper levels, as that's happening on the inside of us, it should move us to the great commission to go into the world and reach people. It's huge. Like, like if you want to know a, a great gauge of if you're growing deeper in your relationship with God, a great gauge is are you, are you having a deeper compassion for the lost? Because what ends up happening is, is all of a sudden there's this longing in our hearts and, and we're like, man, Lord, we're, we're, we, don't, we, we may not even know it, but we're looking for Jesus before Christ. We're looking for that satisfaction. We're looking for that eternal void to be filled. Or, or, and so we're like, man, are we spent our whole lives before Christ trying to find him or should I say uh, him finding us. But then after that, the spirit of God is placed on the inside of us. And the Spirit of God, there's this compulsion, there's this, this desire, this, this angst to see lost people found. And so that's where that, 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 that hunger starts to rise on the inside of us for mission. That's where sometimes it's hard to define. But if there's a lack of mission in your life and in my life, I guarantee you're going to feel a hunger that you're not, you may not even be able to put your finger on it. 
Because the Spirit of God, is, the Spirit of the Lord is saying, man, go into the world. Go. So many people that need to know me. There's so many people that need salvation. In other words, if you're taking notes, you can jot it down like this. Found people, find people. That's just, that, that's just what we do. And, 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 if, and if this is not a reality, you're going to have this sense in your heart that, oh, man, I just feel like I was made for something more. I feel like, God, you created me for something more. I was, create, I was created to worship you. I was created to know you. But, but you've made me uniquely in such a way. You've designed me in such a way that I'm not supposed to remain in the nest forever. But you've made me in such a way where I'm to plunge in, into the difficulty, into the tumultuous places, into the darkness to make an eternal difference. And, and, and let me show you Ephesians. Paul, Paul says to the church of Ephesus, he says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Like, God had purpose in your design, in my design. He says, he says, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know what's interesting about this phrase, good works? In the original language, it comes from this notion of God created us for deeds that are birthed from an internal passion that are carried out with intention and purpose. It's like something on the inside of us that we can't get away from. That God, that, that as God is ruling and reigning on the inside of us, that we're moved and we're pressed to go. And sometimes we, we want to fight that a little bit. But this is how God designed us, and he didn't simply call us to an event. He didn't simply call us to multiple events. Or this, is, this is how we do good ease, it's just purely by events or, or even church services or conferences. But no, he said, listen, I've created you in such a way that you should walk in them. And this word walk, it, it, in the original language, it means a lifestyle. This is how I live everywhere. That as I leave these four walls, everywhere that I tread, I'm mindful of how God made me. I'm mindful of the things that he has prepared beforehand. It means that when God puts people in your path, when there's opportunities that come our way, it's not by accident. Like where you're planted in your family, where you're planted in your city, where you're planted in, in your area of influence, whether it's work or school, none of that is by accident. God says, no, I've prepared you for such a time as this. He goes on to say this. Uh, well, let's go to the next one. Not only did God create you for good works, but Peter says it like this. He says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. So look what Peter says. Use them well to serve one another. And so God hasn't given us gifts just to kind of sit on. It, it, I was talking with the pastor the other day. He said, man, we're redefining what faithful looks like at our church. He said, we used to think that faithful was just people show up. And that's faithful. But he says, when we look at the scriptures, we see that when God entrusted somebody with a talent, Faithful meant that they used it and they multiplied it. And so I think sometimes we've kind of reduced a lot of things down to bare minimum. And God says, there's more on the inside of you. I put so much more. I designed you in such a way. Why? To go and change the world in Jesus' name. 
to use your gifts to go and serve one another. If this isn't convincing, let me take you to the book of Acts. Look what it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but you will receive power. That word is dunamis. It means dynamite. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Like God hasn't just filled us with power for consumption, but he's empowered us with his spirit for commission. And if we miss that, there will always be an angst on the inside of us. If we miss that, oh, man, we're going to be missing out. So let me, let me show you this one more time. If you haven't taken it down or taken a picture, do it again. That consumption with Christ should lead to the commission of Christ. But consumption is way more easier, isn't it? Consumption is the nest. Consumption a lot of times comes with comfort. There's a comfortability to the nest. There's, there's a, a comfortability with, um, with consumption. There's a comfortability with standing inside of these four walls. There's, there's a comfortability there. And I think we love the idea of being filled, don't we? Like, oh, man, I just want to be filled. Just fill me up. But we don't like the idea of being emptied that much. Like, who's walking around saying, Lord, empty me. I just want to, right? And we say things like, God, use me, and God, I want you, I want to serve you, and we say these things. But, but, but the reality is this, is that we love to be filled. We just don't like to be emptied. But here is the great paradox of the scriptures. Here is the great paradox of the kingdom of God. Is Jesus says, listen, as, as we are pouring out our lives, we then become a vessel that he can continue to fill. Like there's something that as we're leaking all over the place, God says, yep, you need more. Yep, 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 yep. And so, so consumption with Christ should always lead to the commission of Christ. That as we begin to empty out our lives, God said, that is a vessel that I can continuously fill. And when I say emptying out our lives, I'm talking about, man, pouring out. Like there's, there, there's, there's sacrifice. Like we don't like those words anymore, right? There's sacrifice. They're saying, man, let me, let me go ahead and forfeit some of my comforts that others might come to know him. Like whatever it takes. Do, do you have the angst in your heart for people who are far from God? If not, I want to encourage you to get on your knees and cry out for a heart for that. Because as the spirit of God is ruling and reigning on the inside of us, I find it really hard to believe that we won't be compelled to go into the world and to make disciples if that's his heart. Man, that should be our heart, right? No guilt or condemnation. I know we all go through seasons, and I know we're all trying to, you know, it's easy to, to, to get distracted with life, and, and we don't have some of the pressures that we see in these other countries that compel us to, to uh, great decisions, compel us to great leaps and jumps when it comes to following Jesus. And so we got to fight for that all the more here because we live in a culture of consumption. It's, it's just, it's part of our culture. It just says, man, if you're lacking, just go get more. Just, just go get more. But Jesus says, man, what, what if what's missing isn't consumption in your life right now? What if it's mission? And so I, I, I want us to, to lean into this for just a bit because I, I love what Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark. And Pastor Chris hit on this last week, but I love Mark's take on it. Look what Mark says. Mark says it this way. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. 
But whoever loses their life for me, now listen, and for the gospel will save it. A lot of times we leave that last portion out. And this, and, and this isn't like a, a passive approach to, well, well, if somebody comes with a guillotine, I'm going to stand for Jesus, right? If somebody questions me about my faith, well, then I'll say something. No, this is a proactive saying, man, I am surrendered to you, and I am going into the world for the sake of the good news of Jesus that those who, who are lost might be found. So, so let, me, let me take you to Eutrea, Africa, because sometimes we have to get outside of our scope to see properly, I think, when it comes to Christianity. Let me introduce you to a woman by the name of Helen. Now, now Helen, um, she found herself as a young girl. Her parents were in prison because of the political climate in her area. She, she found herself as a young girl longing and, and, and wanting to build this relationship with God. There was a, a church in her community, and so as a young girl, she made a decision to say, I'm going to go to church every day. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to spend time with God. Well, little did she know that as she got older, she'd be preaching on the fringes of Ethiopia and some very hostile territories bringing the gospel. And so on one of those occasions, she was, uh, she was taken captive by the authorities. And for two and a half years, she was thrown into a metal storage container where, where she lived with about 15 other people. And she said it was so cold at night, you thought you were going to freeze to death. But then she said, in Africa, obviously, it's so hot in the day that the metal would actually burn your skin. But even in the midst of all that, she still had this, this desire that, man, here, there's 15 people here that don't know Jesus. And she didn't have a Bible, but she had a lot of Bible in her. And so she began to write scriptures down on napkins to, you know, or on, on napkins or whatever she could to, to give to the other people and began to share the good news of Jesus. Well, long story short, somebody, you know, ratted on her or, the authorities found out, so they came to her and they said, where's your Bible? She said, I don't have one. They said, is it in your head? She said, yeah. They said, then we're going to beat it out of you. And so she went through those two years, severe tortures, severe beatings. And on this particular occasion, they began to beat her with bats. And in the middle of this beating, as they're just plummeting her, trying to make her a vegetable, this is what she said. Let me show you. She says, I do not hate you, for you are just carrying out an order. I am also carrying out an order, and that order is not to renounce Jesus. So carry on. So carry on. What? Like what moves somebody to live like that? And so they shipped her back to the storage container. And this is the prayer that she wrote down. She said, thank you for the cold nights, for the hot days, Lord, for the sickness even. She, it was actually, uh, she was sick. That's how she escaped because she got so sick that they saw outside medical attention because I guess they didn't want it to spread or whatever the case is. And that's when she was able to make her escape. And she says, thank you for the bug bites on my body. Thank you, Lord. That's real life. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, if you lose your life for my sake, you're not only going to find it in eternity, but here now, it so transcends all circumstances, all superficial fabrication. And at the deepest, deepest level, there's a thankful heart. There's a heart of joy and satisfaction. 
that's secure, that's stable, that's unafraid. That's life. She, she went on to say, she said, man, I'm really concerned for the next generation. She said, I really believe we need to pray for the next generation. She said, if you're not prepping now, if you're not consuming now, when the trials come and God is calling you to pour out, it's going to be very difficult for you. But she said, we need to begin to pray for this next generation. And she just has this huge heart. She said, the prophets did it, and we need to do the same because it's getting more and more difficult. See, we, we don't have to face a lot of this stuff. But I think in light of this, it's important that we pay attention to what Jesus says. Look what Jesus says. Jesus says it this way in Mark. He says, Jesus said to his followers, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. Like, nobody gets a pass from that. He didn't say pastors or team leads or captains or dream team. or No, he said Listen, to, to his followers, go into the world. Now, that can sound a little overwhelming, a little intimidating. Like, whoa, this is, this is thick today. I didn't know it was going to be so deep today. But if we're going to do that, I believe some things have to change in our hearts. If we're going to really take this seriously, some things have to change. And the first one, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down, is we have to become aware. Like, what we care about is the things we're mindful of and aware uh, or, or what, the things that we care about are the things that we pay attention to. Isn't that true? And, and I think you and I need to be mindful and aware of what's going on. And sometimes it's so hard to see because we're just not faced with this kind of stuff every day. Like in Iran, if you're going to give your life to Jesus, you, you sign away your house. You sign away all the luxuries of life. You actually just let him go. But we don't have that. And so there's this, like, you know, and, and man, praise God that's not what's happening. But too much is given, much is required. And so even though we're not facing great persecution like that, we can be a great resource to those who are. And listen, our nation is just as desperate as anybody else. We have to become aware of what's happening around us. Look what Jesus said. Jesus said it like this, or in Matthew chapter 9, it says, when Jesus saw the crowds. Now, this word saw is is an in, in internal spiritual perception as he looked at the people. It was an internal discernment. It wasn't like, oh, I see the crowds. Like, hey, I'm here. It was like, oh, you don't even see, but I see. And it says that he was moved with compassion. And this word compassion, it means in his inmost being, in his inner bowels, he felt it at such a deep level. And he says, because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, he was aware at a very deep level. Uh, let me show you some stats. Let me show you. Ready for some good news? Here's some good news. Let me show you this picture. It's coming. Here we go. There it is. So this is a picture of the most church cities in America. These are the cities that are the most church. Chattanooga, Tennessee, Salt Lake City. All you can go down the list. Greenville, South Bend. These churches, these cities right here, they're the most churched. Now let me show you uh, about those, uh, the most unchurched cities in the world. Let me show you this next picture. Number one, San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose. This is according to the Barna Group, which are phenomenal when it comes to research. It's a new stat of 2017. 
that we are the most unchurched region in America. Unchurched. Even Reno's is number two. Whoa. <laughs> Monterey is on number 14. I knew we need to go to Monterey more, babe. We need to go to Monterey more. <laughs> now, now let me show you this. Now, now this is for people that have not a church, attended church in the last six months. Now, let me show you the next one. Is, is the next one is those who are de-churched. De-churched, meaning they once had some type of affiliation with, with, with Christianity or religious affiliation, but now they're no longer. Guess who's at the top? Number one, San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose. And so I don't say that to be like, oh, man, we're really in for it. No. Remember what I told you that Paul said to the Ephesians church last week? Paul said to the Ephesians church, he said, make the most of your time. Take advantage of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. Why is that so encouraging? Because where there's evil, there's opportunity. And where it's the darkest, man, we, it's set up for us. I think it's harder in some of those churched areas. People would argue with me. But the power of the gospel, the light of the gospel has always shined the brightest in dark places. When it's really dark, it's easy just a little bit of light goes a long way. A little bit of light goes a long way. But we have to be aware. Now, I know it's hard to be present sometimes. I, I get it. There's sometimes Jackie asks me, hey, babe, so I know that we agreed upon this. Did you do it? I'm like, agreed upon it? She's like, yeah, you know, you were nodding your head. You were saying yes. And I'm like, I got nothing. <laughs> Not sure. Did I say that? Like, it's hard to be present sometimes. I get it. I get it. But, guys, we have to open our eyes. We have so much opportunity. Look what Jesus says. Jesus says it this way. He goes on to say, he says, don't you have a saying that it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. They're ripe. But, listen, you can't take a passive approach. Oh, somebody's going to do it. Pastor Matt, you got your work cut out for you. Dark area. Tough city. I mean, just our city alone is 98% unchurched. How about that? 95% unchurched in the Tri-Valley. That's why we're here. This is why you and I are here. But we got to open our eyes and redeem those opportunities that God has placed before us. Why? Because look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says it this way. He says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We're the church. We're God's plan A. God doesn't have a plan B. It's the local church. The local church, I believe, is the hope of the world. That the local church, really being the local church, can transform cities, nations. I mean, I mean it's real. So we have to be aware. The second thing is this. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Is we have to be people of prayer. We have to be people of prayer. Jesus says, man, I see the need. I, man, I'm moved with compassion. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. Do you see his heart for the lost? His bowels are moved at the deepest level for lost people. I remember Amy Simple McPherson, the husband of the woman who found our denomination, he would just spend hours in his backyard praying, God, give me a burden for the lost. 
Like, can I just step on all of our toes? When's the last time you prayed for a burden for lost people? When's the last time you were moved in your deepest guts to see people come to know Jesus in a real way? So Jesus says, man, I, I see it. I feel that. I see the need. But he says, here's the issue. Look what he says. Here's the issue. He said, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And now it's at this point that we're like, wow, the workers are few. <laughs> and this is, this is me, and i got to wrestle with this tension all the time. God had to speak to me. This is how much I wrestle with this tension. God had to speak to me. Um, I was at Old Oak Ranch. I was taking communion, and God said, I always want you to commune before you create. Because if you commune before you create, I'll create something that you would never be able to create on your own. What he was saying is, listen, it's important to create. It's important to have systems. It's important to have structure. It's important to have all those things. But I'm also, listen, as much as I'm bent and I understand the importance of those, I also am a man of priority, and that's not where we start. I want you to commune with me. We have to be people of prayer. So a lot of times when we see this, it's like, okay, well, let's, let's start a new program. Let's do this. Let's do that. All those stuff are great. That's just not where we start. We start with saying, Lord, oh, we need you. Like, like we're wrestling against principalities in this Bay Area, demonic strongholds. Like, like if, if, if you don't have a devil in your theology, you will turn people into the devil. What do I mean by that? Meaning we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, the Bible says. We, we wrestle against principality and wickedness in heavenly realms, evil, like, 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 even if you talk, like, one of the leading social justice people in New York, you know, when somebody asked her, hey, what is the church? What can we do? She said, you know what? You need to get an understanding of spiritual warfare. She said, we have tons of people chopping and burning their lives out, chopping at the fruit, but nobody's hitting the root. There are principalities here that we need to get on our face and cry out, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of this world, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That's why we have to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, casting down every high and lofty imagination that would try to exalt itself over the true knowledge of God. Because so many thoughts are trying to enter in that just aren't real and true, and we're trying to fight battles in ways that it's impossible to win on our own. And so, so I have a huge angst for this, as you can tell. But, but this, this, is, this, is, this is real. This is real. And so look what he, Jesus goes on to say. He says, here's the answer. He says, therefore, pray earnestly. Pray earnestly. It doesn't start with another program or system. We're all about that. You know I'm all about that here. But, but how we get those systems and those programs and what we do has to be birthed in a place of communion. Has to come from him. The plan's got to come from him. And so, so it doesn't mean that we don't do any work on our own, but it means that this is where we start. We have to be praying earnestly. Let me take you to Iran. Let me introduce you to Pastor Saeed. Now, you guys may have seen Pastor Saeed. He's been in the media. He was a prisoner in Iran for over eight years for the gospel. His story is pretty fascinating. He grew up in a staunch Muslim home. In fact, he joined ranks to, to rally against Israel um, as a young man. Long story short, Islam did not satisfy that internal void. And so he fell into a depression. He found himself at a, at a Christian church, a legal Christian church in Iran that ended up shutting down six months or getting shut down six months after he visited that church. Well, the pastor told him that Jesus is God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the one true God. And he said, I could not believe that for anything. He said, Jesus was a prophet. There's no way that there's a God man. You know, he was rooted in the Quran. And so he said, there's just no possible way. And he had every intent to kill that pastor. 
Well, he went home that night and he put the Bible and the Quran. He was 20 years old and he said, God, I don't know. They both say it's true. They, I, show me. Goes to sleep that night. He hears, he, woken up out of a dead sleep, hears the voice of the Lord say, I'm coming soon. Go and preach my gospel. He goes back to sleep. Second time, woken up. I'm coming soon. Go and preach my gospel. He said, the third time, the wall shook in my house. He said, I don't know if like, it really happened, like tangible for me. I woke up, he says, the walls are shaking, and the voice of the Lord said, I am coming soon. Go and preach my gospel. He said he was terrified. Then he laid down back to sleep like a dead man. And he got up the next day, and he just began to share the gospel. He began to go out and just, he began to go. And, and as he went, there was no fruit. He's like, man, God, you told me to go. So he came back, and he felt like the Holy Spirit said, just keep going. And still, man, it was just so, it was just, I mean, it's, it's a Muslim country essentially, and just hard ground. So they had no money, they had no building, they had no resources, they had none of that, but just about four of them got together for one year and prayed from 12 midnight till 7 in the morning for a year. And then he said after that year, all of a sudden it was that 5 went to 50, 50 went to 500, 500 to 1,000. We planted 100 churches, and he said then the number began too big to count. He went to prison ten times for the gospel. Finally, the Iranian government said, we know that you are not going to change, but you need to stop propagating Christianity. We know that we can't stop you, but you need to stop propagating Christianity. He said, I can't do that. So they added a political charge, said you want to overthrow the government, and they threw him in prison for eight years. And that's where his story exploded all over the media. And then when he was there, they started a bunch of churches and led like 30 people to Jesus. Prayer. Let me, let me, let me quickly, I, I got to move quickly. Let me take you to China. China, 1949. Mao takes over for 30 years. Then Christians are faced with extreme persecution under this regime. Pastors are tortured. Churches are burned. You know, it, it becomes illegal. There's about a, a million believers at the time. Well, during in a very short amount of time after Mao took over, it, the church quickly doubled from 1 million to 10. And then from there, 10 to 20 in a very short period of time. They were wondering, man, how, how, is this, how is this happening? It's all underground. Just rapidly multiplying. Like, man, how in the world is this happening? And, and this, was, this is what Mao was perplexed by. The movement was led by young people and by young adults. And it said that all they did was they had a huge heart for prayer. And I thought that was so, as I was putting together this message, I saw this resounding theme. Saeed, what were they praying uh, in that park from 12 to 7? They were praying that their country might get saved. They were praying for salvation of the country. What were the people in China praying? They were praying for their country. They weren't praying for themselves. They were praying that God would move in such a powerful way. Prayer has got to be the rudder of the ship, ladies and gentlemen. It's not just an event or not just what we host here, a lifestyle for you and me that gets a heart and a burden for where God has placed us to say, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Send forth labors. So if we're going to do this, this is real. If we're going to do this, last one is this, is we got to be courageous. We got to be courageous in our share. Let me introduce you to one more lady. I'm going to take you to Saudi Arabia. Her name is Fatima. Fatima, I, I love it because this is really recent, 2008. Long story short, Muslim turned atheist, discovered Christ in the scriptures. Somebody said that, man, the Bible 
or the Quran or the Bible speaks about Muhammad and she was looking for Muhammad, never found Muhammad in the scriptures. And what she ended up finding was I feel so close to God as I'm reading the text. And so she converted to Christianity. Long story short, she is in a hostile environment and she starts a blog. And she begins, to, she begins to kind of take an undercover approach and she begins to blog and tell, you know, all of her influence about Jesus. I thought that was so creative because we don't hear this stuff on like modern day stuff a whole lot, right? And so she knew it was very hostile and she knew that she needed to tell her family because she knew that her family needed to get saved. But it was a huge risk. She told her family a, 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 a huge explosion erupts in her home. Everybody's frustrated. She gets home later that night and her brother has her laptop open. And on the, on the screensaver was a cross, and he finds all of her stuff. And she knew that I'm, I'm done. And as, as one of her blogs that she wrote, somebody said, listen, if you, if I could get my hands on you, I would slaughter you twice. And this was her response. She said, may the Lord Jesus guide you and enlighten your hearts. Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted, and by God, I am unto death a Christian. Later that night, her brother came back. He burned her back. He burned her face. He cut out her tongue, and he murdered her. Yet her testimony still carries on and is impacting so many lives. See, that's real Christianity. And by God's grace, we don't have to suffer that here. But our brothers and sisters around the globe are feeling the weight and the gravity of that. So, so listen, we, and we suffer in our own ways. I'm not trying to make light of our trials by any means. I get it. But we got to become aware. And we have to become, listen, ladies and gentlemen, we have to become so prayerful and so courageous with our share if we're going to make a difference. Look what it says in Revelation chapter 12. It says, they triumphed over the enemy, how? By the blood of the lamb, the cross, and by the word of their testimony of what Christ, the testimony of, of Christ and what he has done in our lives. The, the reason why the devil wants to work so hard to get you to be quiet, because your testimony paired with the cross can do a whole lot of damage. A whole lot of damage. He'd do whatever he can to keep you quiet. You're like, but I'm not a theologian. I don't know all the Bible verses. I don't know. That's okay. You have a story. You have a story to share of what Christ has done. Fatima wasn't a theologian either. And I can go down the list of, of a ton of other that. They're not theologians, but they're saying, man, I know that Christ has done. You know, the last words that Fatima wrote, she said, guys, pray for me. But she said, nevertheless, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I be afraid? It was her last blog. It's her last blog. No theologian. But remember, God has called us to be his witness. He's not calling you to be prosecutor. He's not calling you to be the judge. A witness just simply testifies to what they've known and what they've seen. That's what he's called us to do. And look what the Lord says, last verse. He says, and if you spend yourselves, if you empty yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. You might be one serve away from your greatest breakthrough. If we would understand that consumption with Jesus is meant 
to lead us to the commission of Jesus. And as we empty our lives out for his name and for the sake of the gospel, he says, I'm going to fill you like you've never could imagine.